You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. This is the Comedian's Comedian podcast getting into the depths of the minds of your favourite comedy creatives. Um, Can you say comedy creatives? God, that sounds so brand based. But nonetheless, it's to do with comedy and creativity. And today my guest live at South by Southwest is none other than James Adomian, who is someone I've been trying to get on the podcast for many years absolutely thrilled to finally get him on you will know him from a hundred cartoons and a thousand podcasts you'll know him from comedy bang bang uh, and also from his incredible long-form improvised characters of people like bernie sanders and elon musk and jesse ventura and slavoj zizek and other more complex people and he does these extraordinary kind of long-form improvised characters and we're going to delve into how he chooses who to impersonate Um, uh, his love for Aristophanes and his processes for tackling intelligent and academic subjects. Uh, We also talk about audience reactions uh, to James being gay and how not fitting into the gay template has shaped his stand-up sets. Plus, as a little bonus, we actually get podjacked. I think that for the first time in the history of this podcast, a previous guest uh, interjects and interacts. Live at South by Southwest, this, not to be missed, is James Adomian. Yeah. The thing I often forget to do at the beginning of these interviews is set up uh, the high esteem that I have and the glittering career of my guests. Well, I like to be here for it. Give me my flowers while I'm around. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, you like I'm such a fan of your stand-up and of your characters. You are really well known from uh, the Comedy Bang Bang podcast. You also appear on Jimmy Kimmel Live, which is not a show that I'm that familiar with, but I've seen lots of your bits. Sure. What are your other kind of uh, plaudits? Wow. Um, if I was if I was bringing you on stage at a comedy club in in America, not in the UK, where this sort of thing is frowned upon. I when if, I'm when I'm do, well, you're right. What I say <laughs> when I'm doing a stand-up show, I usually try to undersell it. And I say, uh, I bring me on and say, you know him from a hundred cartoons and a thousand podcasts. That's a oh, low yes. bar to clear. That's good. The worst thing is when someone goes like, this guy is a fucking genius. Yeah. You don't know who he is, and you're wrong about that. <laughs> that like, well, that is funny. But I that, can't live up to that. That's not going to be a good set. Yes. And that is that's the first kind of note of intrigue I think with you as a as a comic which is like you don't know who he is and you're wrong about that. Like I think that you are someone who's kind of fame maybe 
doesn't reflect your kind of status within the industry. I am famous. <laughs> it's just that people don't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Is that fair? How yeah. Does that's, that... how I, that's how I think of it. How do you feel about that? I'm a famous person, <laughs> but I don't have to deal with any of it. Yeah. Is that, how, um, how do you feel about that? What's that, what's that like as a, as, a, as a comic, someone to be like, you're so, so respected by your peers? Well, uh, it's fine. Uh, I brought this upon myself because I perform in character so often, uh, like, deep, like deep character, where I tell someone, I've had people go like, uh, I've had heard people, people at a bar be like, this, you know this guy? Because I was mentioning, you know, oh, you know who Eddie Pepitone is? All this kind of stuff about, you know, comedy. And somebody goes, yeah, speaking of that, you know this guy, James Adaminian? And I'm like, no, tell me more. Yeah, okay. And then like, he had no idea he was talking to me. And, uh, and I was, and I, I felt like Agamemnon in the Iliad with the hood over my head at the sneaking into the enemy camp and then i reveal i was like i am he you have been discussing <laughs> um but yeah i mean yeah, i'm i'm uh, i'm fine you know i i get paid uh union scale rates and uh <laughs> i don't have to have people bother me when i go out to lunch or go to a movie or something nice <laughs> nice okay so let's talk about you in relation yeah that's great they love me so much they're having side conversations about it. No, that's, I can't tell who it is. But I don't I think, know if I accept the apology or not. But I think that is a, that's something, that is a reflection of um, the, a similar challenge I have in the UK, whereby I'm, I'm not famous, but I've, kind of, I've got such a, a slight degree of fame that people probably will only know me from the podcast, which means that if anyone recognizes me, and that happens occasionally, they, like, I know that they're a good person. Do you know what I mean? I know. I, know, I know that they're interested in ideas, right? So I get a lot of, I get, when if anyone heckles, I'll address it. And people often go, sorry, Stu. And I'm like, yeah, no worries. Do you know what I mean? It's quite... It feels, yeah, I, I, I get that. It feels like if somebody recognized me, then I'll, like, I look up and I stare at them with one eye. And it's like, and it's like, oh, a traveler in the shadow realm. Yes, exactly. You respect them because they know who you are. Right. Which famous yeah. people don't get that. Right. Some kind of club that you get nothing out of. <laughs> Let's talk about your, um, your work at South by Southwest, because you do one of the most extraordinary things on the comedy strand at South by. People come here and they do their sets, or they come here and they do unusual versions. You know, Nick Thune's show last night, Riffs and Riff Raff. That's sort of a fun amalgamation on a theme. I do those things too, but you they do... don't work very well. Yeah, no, you do those things too, but you also do really incredible, unique, one-off events that you've clearly put a ton of work into that are special and particular to here. Yes, I yeah. do. So <laughs> they know me. They know me, I, they know me at South by Southwest. Uh, Charlie, our dear friend who yep. books all these comedy shows. Uh, is, is he in the room? I wanted him to hear me talk nicely about him. <laughs> um, uh, I think Charlie always wants me to book these like one-off variety shows because I have done them before, yeah. <laughs> and he thinks that I just do it all the time. <laughs> but actually, you're scripting it and creating it. Creating it for bespoke here. for the show. Yeah. So you've done. I've seen you do Bernie Sanders That's here. I've seen you do the Elon Musk show where you come and gave like Elon Musk's reflections on South by. Yeah. Was anybody here for that? It was in this room. Everybody's, everybody's like, no, I don't. I don't I, this is the first and only time I'm coming to South by Southwest. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this was 2019. I did Elon. I guess that was the last time I was here before uh, this. I did uh, Elon Musk um, 
uh, doing a South By event, and we just ripped the plot of Moonraker, the original <laughs> novel, the James Bond novel, not the movie that has a different plot device. And so it was Elon Musk announcing the launching of this rocket. And this team here at Esther's Follies and the festival and Charlie and everybody helped me. We had They built a fucking paper mache rocket. <laughs> I had a Teddy Ruxpin that I had uploaded my consciousness into that was going to be... And you had this, this enormous kind of visual, the multimedia stuff with yes. like all of the... And then we had, then it was like revealed, like towards the end of the show, we were going to like launch this rocket to demonstrate something and it's going to be like so cool, you know. Like South Pie is a place of ideas and it's like one of the greatest idea havers that's in the space. I thought that I would launch them into space. And um, then we reveal that he's actually intending to, like Moonraker the book, launch the rocket straight up and then back down on Austin and destroy South by Southwest with a nuclear bomb. And the, the amount of work and preparation and kind of creativity that goes into that thing which will never be repeated right. is, is really impressive and kind of mad. <laughs> Yeah, th- thanks. And I, I, every time I go, I'm never doing this again. And then, but he th- sounds so sweet when he calls you on the phone. Yeah. <laughs> and then a couple of days ago, you did um, uh, Zizek. Yes, I did Slavo Zizek, the uh, Slovenian philosopher, who is also famous, but no one knows it. So everyone goes, you know, everyone, everyone has seen Slavo Žižek on the internet and, or, you know, encountered him somewhere. But television executives are like, James, I mean, you really can't be reaching into the depths of academia. And I'm like, I got the most famous smart person (laughs) possible to do an impression of. And yeah, but you know, nobody knows, but everybody else does. Um, it's, my God, this crisis, a perennial crisis. What is this? And so on. <laughs> and uh, we did that for an hour and a half. It, I'm really fascinated by how you choose the characters. You kind of spoke a little bit about it there, but like the, the people with whom, like, because you're a very talented impressionist, and we'll talk about that in your stand up, because you also do impressions in your stand up that sit kind of really functionally within your stand up. Like, there's, there's already a premise there, and the, the impression lifts it rather than simply being like an impressionist. Right. Uh, that's because I just, uh, I kind of get tired of bringing costumes around places, so I sort of import them into the stand up set. <laughs> <laughs> just to fill out the time because I have very little to talk about. We'll get we'll get to the we'll unearth the actual truth about that shortly. But in terms of when you take a character and you go, oh, this is good. Like I think the first one I saw you do at length was Bernie Sanders, and I've since seen, seen you interviewing. There's a YouTube clip of you interviewing Bernie Sanders as Bernie Sanders, yeah, yeah. and very graciously going, well, we're in the same universe or we're from different universes or something. That was it. Yes. That was f- so mental. We'll get into that in a second as well. But I'm just interested in. The, <laughs> I got the... to ask him face to face. What exactly is the wingspan? <laughs> <laughs> it's beautiful. It's beautiful. How do you choose the characters that you that you focus on? Is it that they kind of tumble out organically when you're doing a bit, you're riffing, and you go, oh, this this seems to work? Or are you going, I, I, I like the sound of this voice, or I think I can do this particular character? Or is it something that there's like an academic idea that you're interested in exploring? Um, yeah, usually it, it's not an assignment. I do assignments sometimes if I'm hired on a you know a cartoon or... It's a TV show or something where it's like, can you do 
you know, some some guy. Could you do so? Uh, um, what's his name? Um, Sean Hannity. Could you do a Sean? Yeah, I could do. It. Yeah, I could do it. And I work on assignment, but then that's just for that cartoon or whatever. Um, our cartoon president in that case. Um, but when I'm like, when there's a impression that I do uh, a lot or keep coming back to periodically, whether in a sketch show or a variety show or stand up or a podcast. If, if one of my, if it's one of my, one of my guys, if it, that's what I call these uh, voices in my head. Um, if like, uh, usually it is a public figure who has made a, an impression on me and I don't immediately go, wow, I've got to start doing this this week in a comedy show. I will have them bounce around in my head for months or years okay. uh, where every I'll see them on the news again and start and I'll just like start talking back to like, you know, there's a talking head interview clip of like 30 seconds. Uh, and I, this is how it was with Jesse Ventura in the late 90s and early 2000s. You'd just see him um, popping up on people's shows. He would be on The View being like, I'm here to ask questions. <laughs> and, you know, I would see him for a few years, and when he'd be on, I just I naturally start talking back to him the way I did growing up as a child, ah. sort of mocking the TV back to it. Um, and then at a certain point, you'd get an opportunity, and you're like, oh, yeah, I could do that guy. Okay, okay. That's, I'm really interested about that thing about childhood and talking back to the TV, because my next question was going to be, this might be a weird question, but do you ever do them on your own around the house, just kind of do the voice? It um, sounds like you do when you're watching TV. Yeah, but like, not all the time. <laughs> not, it's not. That's not the waking no, day. No, no. Most <laughs> of the time, I'm actually like very quiet, and I yeah. save my voice, and uh, I'm not that. I'm out. I mean, uh, the stage is different because now you're all my closest friends. But um, in the real world out there, I don't like. I don't try to. I don't try to mix it up in line at the coffee shop, you know what I mean? No, 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 but I'm, I'm talking... I'm talking. And, and in my real life, too, it's like that. I'm just kind of like, I'm quiet. I'm quiet until I have to do something. <laughs> yes. I'm just interested specifically on when you're alone. Like right. if, if and, I, and again, like I've said, do you ever do that? And I feel like you've answered from a perspective of I'm not mental. And I'm like, well, that's quite an interesting reaction to that question, which is well, fairly I've never interesting. Had, I've never had a difficulty um, understanding that I'm doing a comedic art form. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, I've never been like, uh, oh, my God, I can't turn off the voice of no, Slavo no, no, Zizek no. in my head. No, but I like I will find myself walking around the place kind of you know, talking to myself sometimes or, you know, like having a little kind of back and forth dialogue with myself about something. Um, Don't go all quiet. Mostly like weird. <laughs> they want to see if they can hear it. If they listen close <laughs> enough. No, mostly quiet, mostly it'll be, you know, if you followed me around with a little hidden camera all day long, it would be hours and hours of quiet, and then once in a while, you know, like, I would suddenly start being like, you know, 9-11, or, you know, and then the rest of the day would just be quiet, you know? Yeah. It's not, it's yeah, not all I, no, the time. No, nothing to do with my that question. That was George W. Bush, by the way. <laughs> no, no part of my question was, do you do that all the time? I'm just interested in those little moments when, because I don't do voices, I can't do voices, and so my kind of self-talk, my occasional little 
thing that bubbles out of me it's very more like occasionally. A, it's more like a vocal warm-up or the way a musician might um, play a lick back when they hear a yeah. song or something. Okay. It's just to see if I could do it. Yeah. It's not like, it's not like, yeah, it's, it's, it's just to be like, sometimes by myself, yeah, practice to see where the voice lives in my head. Because that's you a mean thing if you've been a singer or something. There's different places your voice can live in your head. Yeah, gotcha. Um, well, you can be up here and then it can be in down there. And, yeah. it's short, you know, there's all kinds of different ways you can pluck the, the string. Is that all self-taught? I don't like... Is, yeah, Because there's so of. many, almost every iteration of comedy, you can get stand-up classes or clown classes or whatever, but I've never heard of, like, an impressionist. It, it seems to always be like a lone wolf approach to doing, to doing voices. <laughs> like, it, with all of the ramifications for instead of a satellite. I love the lone wolf where there's some kind of, like, uh, law enforcement <laughs> anti-terror unit. What do they call it? A fusion center somewhere where it's like, he's gone rogue. We've got a lone wolf, and he does impressions. <laughs> he could be anybody. He has spirit gum and a bag of mustaches. <laughs> Sometimes he turns the wigs around backwards and makes them look completely different. I mean, that, that, curiously enough, it, there would be a different relationship between the artist and doing impressions 50 years ago to what there is now. Like, you would, you would almost be kind of powerful, wouldn't you? More powerful in a, in a pre... No, never mind. Okay. It, 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 when well, I'm just interested. 50 just, years ago like disguises, in the 70s. Disguises used to be a thing, right? Oh, I like see. Like, no one actually uses disguises anymore. Were disguises ever a thing? Well... I'm just trying to... The best that has ever been pulled off is one of the... There's one of the Pink Panther movies I saw as a teenager, I guess. Yeah. Where uh, Inspector Clouseau... Like, you know, these kinds of things where the actor is, like, the fifth movie, and they want to, like, show their range a little bit. So he starts... Be, be, they, for some stupid reason in the plot, they're like, he has to dress up as, like, a Swiss businessman or whatever. Yeah. And then and now you see... Uh, now you see him like uh, I forget he has a bicycle in one of those there's, movies there's one of them there's a, it's not even a Pink Panther movie there's, there's a movie called After the Fox and Peter Sellers is like a, a robber and he gets sent to jail and, but he escapes by hiring a double who's also played by Peter Sellers to go in and get him and they switch moustaches and at the end of the movie he comes out and he goes ha, 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 and he tries to pull his moustache off and he can't and he's like oh my god the wrong man has escaped it's great <laughs> That's they did a whole movie on that. That sounds, <laughs> that sounds like a sketch. Yeah, it would be bookended. It bookended the plot. So let's get back to you as a child watching TV and answering back to the TV. Tell me about that. Well, yeah, okay. So my brothers and I grew up, and we would make each other laugh by mimicking what was on the TV, just like we would mimic things in real life, like a teacher or a coach, or you know somebody in a store or wherever kids go, I forget. Jesus Christ, who hasn't done that? <laughs> oh, it's my... That's like your big thing, I talk back to the TV. It's my estranged... It's my estranged father, Eddie Pepitone. Hey, Eddie. No, I'm just listening to this pretentious shit. <laughs> I, I wanted to go to Voodoo Donuts, even though my doctor told me not to. And then I come into this little fucking pretentious enclave of bullshit. I'm sorry I yelled out. I'm you know, sorry. You know what? I can't, uh, I gotta, he's, I can't handle this. I gotta walk off the show. <laughs> hey, fuck, don't you put me on the spot. 
This uh, was nothing but a kind-hearted, spontaneous... Hey, Eddie! Yeah. Hey, Eddie! Uh, leave him alone! Just because you're not selling tickets at your show down the road doesn't give you the authority to come down to Ashmas Follies and ruin this young man's interview! Freddy! Freddy! I'm not selling tickets because I'm too on the edge. Whereas shit like this, shit like this, oh, I was talking to the TV. I'm ready to vomit. <laughs> meanwhile, I'm talking to, meanwhile, I'm talking about the banks failing. That's why people don't go to my show. This motherfucker talks about, oh, me and my brother talk to the TV. There he is, folks, Eddie Peppertone. <laughs> My estranged brother, not Freddie Peppertone. I disagree with him on all issues. I lean to the right of Senda, and I'm very happy about my sex life. <laughs> you would be happy. I am a perfectionist with sex. <laughs> I will not have sex with someone who cannot do various movements. Hey, hey, nice sunglasses. You look like a French New Wave director who can't get his projects funded. <laughs> uh, la ladies and gentlemen, twice uh, guest of the Comedians Comedian Podcast, Eddie Peppertone. <laughs> Pipe down, Peppertone. You've already had two cracks of the whip. I'm sorry, Stuart. But he does it to me. <laughs> no, it's fair. I do this to him every time he has uh, a great opportunity. Yes. I he had he he actually had one night at Carnegie Hall and I <laughs> I bought a ticket and I ruined the last half. It, you didn't see it on TV. It was Eddie Pepitone live at Carnegie Hall and I ruined it. <laughs> So a fantastic uh, conversation with James here. Such uh, he's such a kind of um, a fierce thinker and a fierce talker and a, a comic who kind of gets his teeth in. And uh, it's just a joy to talk to him and to engage with his comedy brain. Um, also, uh, my thanks to Eddie Peppertone for the spontaneous interactive elements of this episode. Uh, you can catch up with James at jamesadomian.com or you can follow him, jadomian, on Instagram. And you can also listen to his re-released hit album, Low Hanging Fruit, great name for an album, uh, via 800 Pound Gorilla. So you can search for, I mean... You can you could find it by look just click on the show notes right it's 800pgr.lnk.2/lowhangingfruit with no g on the end of hanging just use the show notes mate you'd be mad not to um i've got bundles of previews and stuff coming up you can go to stuartgoldsmith.com to find out more about them follow the link to the live comedy things and there's a deftly nested link tree that has got all of my previews on it and i'm putting in more all the time as we ramp up to the edinburgh festival and the official birth of spoilers my climate comedy anxiety dread hopelessness and hope show uh, and uh, i've been doing bundles of research on that not writing any jokes there's a load of jokes in it 
But now I've been doing loads of research. Now I've written enough jokes to go, oh, I know what I'm doing now. And now I've needed to do research and now I've done it. And now I've like got to go, OK, more jokes then. But that is how it should be. We'll get right back to James in just a second. You can follow me at ComComPod on Twitter or Stuart Goldsmith Comedy on uh, Instagram and indeed TikTok if you want to. I mean, it sounds mad to me, but there it is. And without further ado, let's return to this conversation with James Adomi. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Okay. What a lovely spontaneous thing that may have just happened. No, we. <laughs> this is one of the things we love doing. Has usually, has, usually I'm I'm the one that heckles. Well, this, I'm familiar with that as a trope. But has Eddie been lying in wait specifically for this show, or does he do this to you? Right. On other here's shows? the thing: you don't realize we're actually not friends. <laughs> True hostility. <laughs> So, yes, as I was saying, my brother and I talk back to the TV. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for that candid and insightful revelation, which is a, a sort of good quality revelation such as that I have not had from previous guests on this show. <laughs> I really appreciate your honesty and, and your candor. Thank you. Yeah, and I like that you're not just riffing all the time and trying to get laughs. You're actually no, answering no, the questions. No, the laughs come. The laughs come last. <laughs> when I I saw you last night um, at uh, the Creek in the Cave, the Cave, the Creek in the Cave, and one of your opening lines. Well, I want to talk about your stand-up because you do stand-up as yourself as well. Yes. And uh, that's the other act. The other. <laughs> Tell me, do you practice that voice? Um, <laughs> You, one of your lines absolutely slayed me. You you said my my look. What's the line? I don't want to butcher the line. It's like my look is. I, I'm, that my look. I'm current. Well, I was. I dressed up for your show, but I looked a little dumpier the other night, and I was like, the look I'm going for these days is a failed writer. That's the look I'm dressing for, which for me is aspirational because I've never tried. <laughs> I love your stand-up so much. You really. It's so intelligent. Do you know what I mean? Like it's it's. Like, what am I trying to say? You'd started to cover, and particularly because I've really, I've seen you at South by, I've seen your clips online and stuff, but I've seen you live here predominantly. And what I love is that you tackle kind of academic or intelligent subjects and manage to get an audience, like a kind of a mainstreamish audience on board. The stuff you were doing last night about um, the, uh, the, the trillion dollar platinum coin. Ah. Do you mean you'll take a big fucking concept that is impenetrable and make it funny and breathe humor into it and 
kind of get people on board with it in a way that I'm like, oh, you know. Well, thank you. I learned it from uh, I learned it from feeling powerless. Uh, <laughs> I also learned it from uh, not taking very intelligent, uh, informative classes in college and high school, and then not doing the reading, not doing the homework, <laughs> and then having to like very quickly like. Like oh. figure out what was like what was gonna be what how am I gonna pass this off as oh, I know shit. what I'm talking about when okay. it's my turn to talk in the so small that group. was like that was kind of like a training pre improv training having everything to wing is, it based on things that everything you had to... is built on a house of laziness ah. but then but then hyperactivity at the last minute ah. um so yeah I was a big fan I actually did finish the reading uh the one I, there was all I took this uh you know class in um in college in the um ancient Greek and Roman literature very little of it did I read um but I, I or you know you read some of it and that's easy with some of the ancient Greeks because there's only like one scrap of paper that survives <laughs> and uh you're like, oh, okay I remember that um, but I read all of the Aristophanes plays that we were assigned. Um, I, it's, and I, I didn't read it in ancient Greek, Korean Greek. No, uh, it was a great translation from the 60s, and it's, it's, it's funny. It's yeah. funny. And I've read other translations. He's my favorite playwright. He, I've read other translations of Aristophanes since then, and it's not just, oh, there was one wacky translation that was funny. Like, it's... It's funny with Greek references. Like it's if you if you can read it and understand that it's like a Mel Brooks movie kind of comedy. That's how you should read Aristophanes. Um, and what I really took to immediately from the first page is uh, you imagine it. You know, it's at a theater that's performed. You know, twenty five hundred years ago. Um, uh, th there's um, really high concepts. Played as stupidly as possible, just like Mel Brooks. Okay. And that's what I love. That's what I've always loved. It's um, to really get pretentious. <laughs> this is uh, it, it is the um, it is the payoff of like uh, of like bathos on the stage where you. It's like I know all about you that. Bring up you a high topic and then you rub it in shit. Um, that to me is very 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 funny and gratifying and. Uh, and it's, that's how you get an audience that doesn't know what you're talking about laughing about it because <laughs> the, there's an archetype. Nobody needs to know who Slavoj Žižek is. It's funny because he's the insane guy from Europe who has ideas and his hair is on fire. Yes. And, there, and there's an Aristophanes play like that, actually, that I have a dream that I could stage or film or something. It's um, The Clouds. Um, by Aristophanes, one of the, it's it, it's a great play making fun of Socrates as a contemporary. Aristophanes, somebody, yeah, give it up for Aristophanes. <laughs> Aristophanes wrote this play making fun of Socrates as like a major public figure at the time in Athens, and it's one of these plays where the main character Socrates is talked about and talked about and talked about and talked about until like the last third he finally shows up. And the entrance of Socrates in his thinkatarium, or what it, it's, he, he comes up with some word like that, yeah, like yeah. the thinkatarium, and um, it, he the, the character is lowered in a basket slowly from the sky, 
um, with his instruments, and he's telling them, like, slower, I'm measuring the stars. <laughs> and it's visually a metaphor for taking down a, someone who's at a great high esteem, taking them down. Yeah. And it's also, it's, and he's late, he's, then they lower him, and he doesn't quite get to the ground. He just does a whole scene kind of laying there and talking to them like he's better than them. <laughs> and, I mean, it's so funny. I want to stage that and have it be Slavoj Žižek as Socrates in Aristophanes' The Clouds. Beautiful. I don't think I'm going to get funding for that here. <laughs> so that, I mean, that, just to return to the, to the impressions, to the, to the characters, there is something quite unusual about the characters because particularly with Bernie and with um, uh, Slavoj? Slavoj? I think it's Slavoj, but Slavoj? Uh, there's also no right way to say it. <laughs> Thanks. Um, with those characters, you're not necessarily... Most people do impressions in order to kind of point up the sort of... Um, in order to sort of satirize or insult the people themselves. But yours are kind of like you're doing the impressions in order to talk about ideas in a funny and accessible That's way. That's also true, yes. I mean, sure, it's really fun, for example, to laugh about Jesse Ventura being bald but also having a lot of hair, which is the same joke that I use for <laughs> Bernie Sanders. <laughs> um, with uh, Jesse Ventura, you know, I have those jokes in there, and it's fun to do, um, where it's like, I, my hairstyle is the crypt keeper. Bald in the front part. No, dead in the front, party in the back. <laughs> and uh, and then, but then it's also you you know you got a whole, if if you're doing a show at South by Southwest or you're doing a whole stand up bit or something whatever it is you got time to fill. So it's like well now that I'm here and I'm playing this character why don't I say a few things that I could never get away with in my own persona? Yes. Well, talk to me. But we'll talk about the relationship with that because what what things can't you get away with in your persona as a stand up given that you seem to get away with a huge amount. You were getting laughs talking about the Doge of Venice. Do you know what I mean? Like, really, like, you're, you're getting stuff over the line and getting them laughing at stuff. What is it that you can't talk about as yourself? Well, um, it, I, uh, I, it's more like, it's not references. Um, and, I, I mean, to be fair, I'm using the Doge of Venice as, like, an ancient. That's what the guy, what I say, the guy who invented clowns. Um... The, it's more like a good guy, bad guy thing persona on stage. If I'm doing stand-up and people are going to be with me for an hour in a room, you really, I mean, people, people have a good guy or neutral or bad guy persona on stage, and you got to run the room that way. Mm -hmm. And I kind of decided at some point years ago where it's like, I'm like a... I'm like a trickster good guy, you know? I'm not, I don't care if you agree with me, but um, I'm not gonna be like, shut the fuck up! Your wife looks like a fucking pig. I'm not gonna be, I, I, but I mean, I could stand in the room and watch a comic like that and love it. Yeah. Um, and I can also do characters who are assholes like that yeah. or bad guys. But then it's very hard if I'm me dressed as me the whole time to go from one moment to <laughs> one moment like you look like a fucking train wreck to then like we've got some important things going on in the world, don't we? <laughs> it just it's too much. It, it, it grinds the gears. Yes. Yeah, so it's fluidity. so I prefer to just do the bad guy shit in, the, in a costume or a character. <laughs> Got it. And, or, or uh, you know, do some kind of uh, very obvious, uh, you know, when I do my impressions on stage, I go like, it would be a little something like this, and I make it very easy for them. 
But you well, don't do that. No, I was going to say, <laughs> you absolutely don't do that. That's one of the the excitement. I was talking to some of the other comics in the green room before doing this, and Mike Lawrence made the observation that you never your your impressions are never kind of the point. Like the jokes would work without the impressions element. It's not like you're going let's let's imagine how this guy would react to this. You so know? that's a way of that's that's interesting. That's a way of telling me that perhaps it's like the magic feather in Dumbo, and I don't really need to do them. I could have saved all this work and effort this whole time. James, they're just jokes. <laughs> just go out there with a floppy bow tie and a comb over. <laughs> so back to the, just to, to focus a bit more on the stand-up. Some of your stuff I was saying before from, um, from like a clip on YouTube from JFL from maybe 10 years ago. Um, you did some amazing stuff about the coding of uh, gay characters, the coding of villains. Right. That they were coded gay without, ex- without expressly being said that they're gay. Right. So you talked about Megatron. Yeah, this was an old classic bit. This is the classic bit from my stand-up album, which is recently re-available. Um, <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a victim of link rot for a while where you couldn't get it. And uh, so it was re-released, you know, where websites disappear because the internet is not maintained as a public space. So, uh, but it's now available again. It was re-released on 800 Pound Gorilla uh, last year on the 10-year anniversary. And um, so this is my plug for Low Hanging Fruit from 2012, my stand-up album. And um, uh, the headlining track from that that they played a little bit on the radio and stuff is Gay Villains. And that was a bit that I did for a long time. And it's mostly cartoon characters, but a few like live-action movie tropes and stuff. Uh, and it was just very fun and I did it for years and I would add to it and it got to be this big long bloated thing and then I retired it and then uh, they did the Skyfall movie where Javier Bardem is playing a gay villain and I was like well we're going to bring her back out (laughs) Um, but yes Megatron of course that was part of the bit Megatron and Starscream when I was growing up they were and before that time uh, they were coded, like bad guys were coded as gay to vilify them so that it was like, not all villains, but whenever you saw a gay character, it was it was the bad guy or just some, you know, or some, you know, lazy, some other like uh, personality flaw. Yeah, yeah. and, and it, so, it sort of codified weirdness and otherness. Yeah, yeah, so this was the joke that I made that the auto, like you had America's dads meeting and going like, we got this new cartoon from Japan, we gotta do American voices. All right, so the good guys are gonna sound like baseball players. That's the Autobots, okay? They're gonna sound like somebody you want your kids to hang out with. The bad guys, they're gonna sound like fags. (laughs) Um, And so, and that's I, I grew up like that, and then I always loved those characters and voices. And then I looked back on it, and I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. Now that I'm gay, I could look back at that and realize they were trying to steer me away from it. Yeah. And so one of the fascinating things about some of those... All I want is John. Shut up. <laughs> Looking back at some of those stand-up clips, I was struck by something, which is that when you talk about being gay on stage, because, you're, because you yourself are not coded gay in the kind of way that we expect... I've done everything I could possibly think of. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing my orange 
Orange sunflower <laughs> shoes. I've, it's pretty well coordinated. Orange and blue I'm wearing today for you and my beads and so forth. But yes, there is a depth to the voice and a resonance. And uh, I used to play sports. I'm sorry. I don't know how to erase it from my <laughs> shoulders. But what I noticed, and you must have felt this from audiences, is that when you talk about, um, if you talk about gay culture or being gay, because audiences, like I felt like the the crowd in the room didn't really believe you. They kind of they were sort of waiting for a, like, is this a straight guy who's going to do a punchline about it? Right. Because you don't fit into. This I've experienced template. that. I've experienced that in the uh, out on the road where usually they, you know, most of the time it's a crowd that mostly doesn't know who I am. That they just brought me in because they're like, he's available. He's available. We'll give everybody, you know, they get the one free ticket for the month if they're on the email list. We'll suggest that they come to this one because I, you know, apparently he's apparently he's all right. And then after they after the show, they're like, "Don't do that again." <laughs> um, but it's mostly people who don't know me. It's mostly very often until very recently. Uh, you would have a crowd with no. I I stopped asking at my stand-up shows. Are there any gay people here? Because very frequently, the answer would just be, yeah. But do you know? And so, uh, do you know that that's because, or do you? I have a notion that maybe there are gay people there, but they don't know you're gay, and so they don't know. No, like no. they don't know whether it's a straight comic about to lay into them. Do you mean they might? No, I mean this is like after I've teased into it for a little oh, bit. Oh sure. Okay. What I mean is like, uh, um, th- there's th- that moment <laughs> where they're like, okay. Oh, oh shit! He really is gay. Yeah. Um, that can either take the I, that that's a crucial moment that can take the wind out of the sails of the whole fucking show, where everybody's sort of slowly piecing it together and starting to look at the checks for what they ordered, <laughs> um, or, or and being like, and and you, I've 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 seen this before at shows, and it's not just where you would think it would, like oh in the south, you know, it's. Some of the worst homophobic experiences I've had were in Los Angeles, you know, because that's right. where I grew up. I do more shows there. But um, uh, you, there's this thing that happens sometimes in audience where people will be dying laughing at the local jokes, the easy jokes, the current news jokes. And then, you know, you're halfway in and you're like, anyway, a little bit about me. Anyway, here I am. I'm gay. And I'm whatever age I am at the time we're talking about. And then you see the same people that were like, ah! Gary Busey, ha, 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 ha. that's a great Gary Busey. He does, and then they're like, "Does it make me gay that I was laughing at him?" <laughs> now suddenly I feel like I'm in a spotlight, that's and it's something I've had. I have to do that kind of joke to like break the ice over and over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, which is it's fine. That's well, what I, mean, I do. It's not fine, is it? But, but but I'm interested in that, like, because there are so few comics who are gay and out and not, like, you know, the few comics in your position, like most gay comics are... There's more now. Yeah. A lot of younger ones. Um, there weren't, yeah, that's like exponentially more now than there were 10 years ago. Sure. But I think it's really, like, did you, have you experimented with the moment at which you make that clear? Like, rather than winning them... Oh, sure, yeah, absolutely, yeah. One of the things before a show is... uh, And I don't even... 
I say these things as if I've got a system or a a well-ordered mind. Um, Sometimes I show up hungover or (laughs) I'm getting drunk right before. It's a little too early for that right now. Um, sometimes there's no plan or I fuck it up or I forget to do something or, uh, you know, the room is set up so that I can't, but you know, sometimes I like to spy on the audience and you kind of, depending on how the club is set up and like, you know, you see people coming in you kind of, you look through the curtain and you're like, all right, they're older than me. It's going to be a bad show. (laughs) Or, or you're like, or you're like, oh, they're older than me, but they're NPR people. All right. So it's going to start good and end bad. Um, and then, but you know, the, you, you, I judge the audience. I want to see, I want to see how old they are. I want to see if they're already laughing when they show up. Mm-hmm. This is how you can be better people. <laughs> and it's not just me. I, a lot of comics, you know, you can hear, you can hear, you know this, you can hear backstage if it's going to be a really good show. Because yeah. everybody's like, <laughs> there's a buzz in the room. Yeah, it's a buzz in the room, and so you know, uh, I I also have to kind of peek out there and be like, uh, does anybody have, <laughs> does anybody have any sl- anti-gay slogans on their T-shirts that they came out to the club with? Not very often. But the worst for that is when I have to do morning radio, because some very often, let's face it, I'm not a draw in a lot of places, um, a ticket draw. So then you get to a club and they're like, you got to do morning radio three nights in a row. <laughs> We got to sell tickets here. Yeah, yeah. Morning radio guys aren't interested in what you're trying to do as a stand-up. They are the worst. They're issues. like, we got, we got another funny guy down at the slap and laugh. Uh, and it's because they want to be comics and they're not. I'm always resentful. You're listening to Don Valley. I'm myself. I'm a, I'm a Don Valley in the morning. I myself am a failed comedian, but a beloved morning radio figure, James Adomian. You're here at the Slap and Laugh this weekend. Give us, give us three accessible minutes. <laughs> give us three generic minutes based on a couple of things that I've looked up on Wikipedia here in the last thirty seconds. And they'll, 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 they specialize in being like, I just, no, I hear you do, they'll, they'll find an impression that you used to do or yeah, something. Yeah. And they'll be like, I hear you do George W. Bush. Is that right? Give us your best. Now that's, and then, and then it's like, well, and then you're thinking like, oh God, it's 7 a.m. <laughs> I don't, I don't do George W. Bush anymore. And the first thing he's going to say is a lot of other people have done it better. Well, and before you even get to start doing it, you do George W. Bush, then that must be a pretty uh, thick field you have to compete with there. (laughs) (laughs) And you you, we started talking about that because you were talking about the experience of uh, being gay and like the moment of revelation. Is that would you say that plays into? You know, you're doing uh, morning radio, for example. This is an example, and they don't give you an opportunity. It's like you sit there and do. I was on, um, I, you know, I, I loved going on Bob and Tom here uh, a few years ago, and they were great, and they loved me, and they would have me back and stuff. Um, but I learned after like the first two times, I was like, I've got to shoehorn into this fucking radio broadcast that I'm gay, or it's not going to come up. Yeah. So they would, you know, we love James Adomian, we love him for his Lewis Black impression, and I, you know, it was, it was good. It was good. And I would be like, you know, um, you know, I'm not happy to be here. And then, <laughs> and then they, they, you start to hear him like, like, kind of drum you off stage, like, whoa, he's coming up here, and I'm, and then almost like desperately, I would be like, and I'm gay. <laughs> whoa. 
let's talk a little bit about improv. And let's talk about you, the way you play and the way you play with other improvisers on stage. Because you're a fantastic kind of ensemble player as well. You know, you have fantastic work on Comedy Bang Bang over many years where, like, you're a real... Like, you're one of those people who's a real asset to a show where you're like, oh, you get James, you get everybody as well as all the play. You get everybody as well as... Like, well, like, what I mean is you've got so many characters that are so close oh, to the Oh, I see, I see, yes. You're not only a really fun improviser who can offer loads, but you also, you've got this special power. <laughs> I walk on stage and I open my trench coat and there's a bunch of other little... <laughs> like the bullets in Roger Rabbit that are like anthropomorphic <laughs> bullets. <laughs> Which way'd he go? He went that way. <laughs> I think that's Jim Cummings who does all those voices. The same guy who does Darkwing Duck. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, so, yeah, uh, I studied improv at the Groundlings. Um, I love the way that sounded so serious. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I studied shadow puppets at the Sorbonne. <laughs> um I learned improv at the Groundlings. Was there, I started was there doing a, that when I was 19. Just just on that, was there a kind of serious element to it? Because it is study, right? And But is it just play and play and play? Or is it it's play not and serious and like you should think of this as important. It's serious as in there's a lot of drama backstage <laughs> in any kind of theater context. Or, you know, it's, there's, it's just people. It's people and they're performers. So there's big egos and there's... Uh, uh, you know, people who think in different ways. And, um, it's a polite way to say it, right? Yeah. yeah. And um, <laughs> the, uh, the, like uh, I, I learned the their format of improv, which is short form improv. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was there for many years and the UCB theater opened in Los Angeles and I kind of hopped over there. Uh, and for a while I was doing both at the same time. And um and then the groundlings were like, thank you, you're dismissed. And Yeah, I was going to say, is that, because is it territorial in that respect? Like, you can't do both? Not really, uh, but it took a lot of time. I was younger, and this was before I did stand-up, too, or I wasn't doing a lot of stand-up at the, during those years. And um, it took a lot of time. And... Uh, <laughs> I remember having to go over to the Groundlings where I had stashed costumes to do a show at UCB that night. And it wasn't our Sunday company lower kids level show, you know, you know, the B company. It wasn't that show. It was the main stage Groundlings Saturday night show, the ones who would be voting on you uh, at the end of the six month period. And I had to go through the green room and be like, sorry, guys, you know, sorry, just uh left some of my costumes here to do a show at a different theater. Oh, I didn't know, I wouldn't know about the kind of the relationship between those things or the voting element or any of that. What, what, I mean, yeah. This sort of structure imposed on it. The Groundlings vote on you and then UCB, they don't do that. People just kind of like, uh, I guess they quietly stop inviting you if they don't like you. Gotcha. <laughs> or okay. they invite you more. Okay, but the Groundlings, they'd vote on you mm. in a kind of internal, like a cabal of elders that go... Yeah, like if you've ever it. seen that, one of those Planet of the Earth, uh, Planet of the Apes movies where there's like a, like a tribe, there's a panel of like transhuman judges that have like faces that don't move when they talk. <laughs> you stand accused. Yes, and... Right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I have a lot of fun improvising. I don't do it anymore, like, uh, formally. 
Okay. I don't, I'm not on an improv team anymore. Or, or I, I don't do like improv shows except at a festival. I, Matt Besser had me on last night, uh, his um, Improv for Humans podcast. But I always get nervous for that because I think of myself as a former improviser. Ah, I okay. Do, and so I always, I always have to like, I have to ask him like, gee whiz, uh, you, uh, how do you, how do you guys do it? You, you, you cut the scenes after a certain amount of time. Uh, I, uh, I don't know, I'm not steady anymore, you know? Um, That's interesting. But I use what I learned doing improv. I, imp- I improvise all the time. I just don't do improv. I, yeah. you know, I improvise as a solo performer doing a stand-up show or I'll improvise uh, on a podcast or even on a TV show or a cartoon. I often find comics who have a grounding in improv are happier than comics who don't because they need to write less. So they have less of a kind of, it's me against the blank page, oh Christ, what am I going to say? Right. Do you know what I mean? Or like the, the fluidity, they're more fluid in how they express themselves. It's, it's sort of like, okay, well, I'll do, I'll do something. I'll just think of something. Uh, in stand-up, I usually only improvise if I'm having an incredible amount of fun or if something goes wrong. Okay. If, if the in-between default is more written or uh, written and then I can loosely riff around it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if I'm if I'm having a blast, that's when I'll do like the one-time jokes because they popped into my head and I never remember what they are. Or if something goes terribly wrong, well, you know, then you're fucking a pig in the in the middle of a pile of shit. <laughs> that's an old comics expression I've never heard before. No, I'm <laughs> no, you never fucked a pig in the middle of a pile of shit. So let's cut that out. Um, <laughs> no, I say let's cut that out. Um, no, yeah, if something goes wrong in a stand-up show, should I give you another option? If something, you know, or, you know, it could be really good or it could be really bad, something goes wrong, and then it's like, well, now I'm, re- now I'm really gonna fuck a pig in a pile of shit. <laughs> um, I, See how I come up with these I different really options? Enjoyed, I really enjoyed that moment. I really enjoyed not knowing what you were doing and sort of thinking, you don't need to retake this. Oh, I see, and then it's a bit like I like to, there is something really brain tickling to me about your intelligence and how quickly your your uh, how quickly you think on stage. I really enjoy, you know, as opposed I can watch improv. It feels like a fog here inside. I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, I'm, 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 nerv- it's, I'm nervous. I'm like an octopus that's been brought out into the air. And I'm like, these creatures understand me, but could eat me. <laughs> I mean, even that, have you, like, that's such a perfect analogy. <laughs> that you're like an octopus who's been brought out into the air. I love that. Right. There's uh, a, they understand what I do here, but I should, must not eat with them. <laughs> You, one of the things you, one of the clips I saw of you doing Zizek, your Zizek singing that song, which was created by an Italian to mock. Prison colon insanine Cusol. All right. Man, that is such. Adriano Celentano. Explain what it is, because I know what it is. And I saw, I just saw the title of that clip and I was like, fucking hell, is that that thing? And it just exploded my mind. It's a meme that goes around every, some of you have probably heard of it. Uh, it's a meme. It goes around as a meme every like three years or something, and people think they've discovered it for the first time. Yeah. It's this song from the '70s, where Adriano Celentano, Italian musician, made up a fa- a dance song that was like a fake American rock and roll song with like fake gibberish English as the lyrics, and it's so funny. 
Yeah, it, and, and it's a banger. You it's see really what they song. think, what what you think English American English sounds like yeah. to and an Italian really who does. doesn't speak it, and it really does. And then there's once in a while like real words, like uh, you know, uh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> and so you, James Adomian. There's too many cars in seven bars. Let face go. And the same shoes, and the color balls died. <laughs> it's so good and it's you as Zizek doing that song that was and the, it's like that's because the, the, he's somewhat difficult to understand and then I thought why well, here's how I will explain myself in song the most confusing song I know of I honestly I'm just one of those things where I felt like my brain was being unpeeled because I was like I get it I get this and I don't I don't know if I get all of it but I, I sort of get how meta narrative this is well like, it's hard to get off stage sometimes that's the hardest way to end anything in comedy <laughs> how do you fucking end it so many comedy movies yeah I give them a, you gotta give them a wide berth because the comedy movies I'm like well I couldn't do it that well and you see it. You see very often where it's like there was no way to end this in a funny way. Yeah. So they have to have – this is why the Greeks came up with a thing where somebody always has to get married. Yeah. And they were like, well, all right, they got married. And it's <laughs> technically a comedy. Get out of here. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a dismount. You either ha- – you have to get a huge laugh or you have to have music loud enough that people can't hear that there's not a laugh. <laughs> That's what it boils down to, 100%. So tell me, just, I want to learn a little bit more before we wrap up about your psychology. That would have been the perfect, never mind. No, I know, I know. No, 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 the perfect ending will be we'll do another 10 minutes and then we'll get married and we'll leave the stage together. <laughs> okay, okay. So... I want to find out a bit more about your psychology because one of the big questions for me with someone of your caliber, someone who I think is so talented in so many different respects, is why aren't you like, why did you never become an SNL cast member or something like that? Why aren't you more successful, James Adobian? Why aren't you more successful on paper? I consider you a success. I really love, I was... (laughs) You know what's funny? You, 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 You waited longer than anyone else to bring that up. It's not my it's, first rodeo. It's like, <laughs> oh, God. Um, that's what people say when they first meet me. I really, I love, I love Harley Quinn. Why aren't you more famous? <laughs> um, I, well, yeah, uh, I don't know. I try very hard not to think of it so I can get through the day and do what I do. <laughs> um... Uh, complaining isn't funny, I guess. Uh, if no, I'll, I could do a character. Sure, I've done that. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll, I've done characters and you know, given strong comedy opinions. But also, uh, I don't know. I used to run my mouth when I was a young comedian more than I do now okay. about what I liked and didn't like. Okay. Um, do you think? Do you- I think? Let's say this. Let me offer this. Rather than asking why I haven't been on the one sketch comedy show that's legally allowed in the United States, <laughs> what if we? And I. What if we? Let me do it in a John Lennon voice. Imagine more than one sketch show. <laughs> like I just. What could I? Could I? Could I could I be allowed to compete with them before it's too late? <laughs> That's how I think about it. Is it? Am I? 
will I live out my entire life with ever being allowed to do a sketch show? That's how I think about it. Yeah. Um, I remember. Uh, Matt- and the answer is probably. <laughs> I'm like you said a few things there about like obviously that it comes up. People ask you about it. Obviously, there is a kind of a sense of. I think that's it's a very gracious thing. It's like it's not funny to complain, but I just think. Like, I think the vast majority of people listening to this episode, when it becomes an episode, um, will also not be famous. Do you know what I mean? There are far more comics who are doing great work and having to contend with the fact that they maybe aren't getting everything to which they're perhaps entitled. Sure. Then yeah. there are huge megastars who've been given everything who sure. still aren't happy because they haven't got the next And one. at the end of this whole journey, we all, like, we open a door and we walk out on deck on the old, what, what was the, everyone we met on the journey of the Titanic, and they're all there. Everybody that you saw in the Titanic movie is there, lined up against the banister <laughs> in the costume from how you remember them, going like, we also weren't famous. Yeah. <laughs> None of us were. I couldn't buy a house. I never was able to. But boy, oh boy, we sure had some fun times that no one filmed and kept alive afterwards. You had to be there. No, I think here we are at South by Southwest and there's all these, um, there's all these people from different p- parts of the human mind that are like, you know, I'm a tech guy. I'm a tech guy. What I do is I'm looking for, like, creatives. And uh, I'm looking for creative people who have ideas. Uh, like, uh, I've got lots of money, uh, and mostly I just waste it on ideas that non-creative people come up with. But we're looking for more creative people. And it's like, have you, you come to the shows and stay afterwards. <laughs> so, that, I mean, here we are, but it's, I, don't think, I don't think anybody's ever signed a deal with a, a funding founder, a, found, a, a founding, a funder. A... Well, I don't think any of the fun boys have ever come to <laughs> Esther's Follies. I'm, I'm fine. You sound fine. fine. You sound fine. really fine. I, I like the shows. I like the shows, and uh, there's nothing more fun than a room full of people laughing. Jesus Christ. Well, I don't know if the recording will pick up the really you, vague kind can of... Can you put a big, loud, presencol and insonine cusol over that? <laughs> well, right. <laughs> and, you know, I don't know what the, I don't know, I don't know what the point is. Um, I don't have an answer for you. Uh, well, I'm, big I... in, I'm big in Toronto. Uh, for some reason, <laughs> for some reason in Toronto, they act like I'm famous. Whoa, yes. that's nice. Um, and you know, I, I do. I, Austin shows up half half full. I always have wonderful half full crowds in Austin. <laughs> but you're none of you are from here, right? <laughs> okay, we got a couple. We got a couple. Um. I would like to give you the opportunity to field some questions from the audience, if you're happy to do that. If oh, anyone sure, has any, why, if not? Anyone, why not? Uh, if anyone has any questions for James Adomi, feel free to raise a hand. Uh, if So that there isn't a sort of awkward moment here while we wait, I'll ask another question, and then in the background, you can be thinking. I can't see either, also. No. Oh, have you got one? Sorry, can you shout it in the voice of Eddie Pepitone, please? <laughs> She's still here. Can you just fucking say something? <laughs> Very good. See? Very good. 
sorry, go ahead. Ask your question and then I'll repeat it for the sake of the recording. Like as soon as you mention you're gay, certain rooms, there's a change in their reaction. Yeah, I don't, Do you have yeah, a I don't like apologize or get off stage. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I, that anecdote was probably me sharing the very bad, the worst case, you know. They're usually, <laughs> usually everyone leaves happy and goes home and finishes off their cheesy bread and goes to sleep. <laughs> Whatever people do after a comedy show. Know. Does not everyone just go drink all night? Finishing off their cheesy bread and going to sleep. Do you I, know, I'm home, trying to think like normal people. Have they um, got leftover cheesy bread at home in your imagination? Is it? Well, they took it home from the club. Oh, I see. They took the cheesy bread home and then ate it and went to uh, sleep. Flatbread or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, I have a lot of stories, uh, different contexts of the way things have gone right and wrong. And I, they, they tend to, I, I don't know, I lean more into the, sh- the, the, the stories where something went wrong um, because they're funnier <laughs> um, to me when I, it's funnier to lose. Uh, sure. it's, uh, it's funnier to lose, and, but then I guess I got to remember, it's funny, Aristophanes, you lose, 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 and then you win. And that's the, that's the end of the play. Um, so, yeah, uh, I, don't, um, I don't do sociology on stage. I'll say that um, I have. It's not my thing. Um, I think I'm. I've, I've learned a lot of things that inform what I talk about. But um, uh, I do an act. I do an act. It's a timing act. That's what comedy is. And I talk about myself because I got bored from only ever performing in character, and I wanted to not have to put on a costume. So there's a version of myself I have to play when I'm on stage. Um, and so it's gotta, it's gotta match me. And so I don't want to lie for an hour, um, when I'm doing a long set. And also at a certain point when I was younger, it became like a point of pride or honor. Uh, notice I'm not saying a funny idea, (laughs) but I was like, you know, when I do stand up, no matter whether it's a five minute set or an hour, Every time the audience is going to know that I'm gay. And I've almost always done that. Sometimes if I'm working on new stuff, I forget it. <laughs> and then I'm like, or, or this is fun when I'm doing new stuff and I get to a joke that you have to already know that I'm gay for it to work. <laughs> and then um, I go, and then I'll, it's like, and then I'll go like, aha, for this next joke to work, you'll have to pretend that you already knew I was gay. And then I'm not just making it up right now to make this not sound homophobic. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, primarily, uh, primarily doing a comedy show, it's uh, important to make people laugh. And the mechanism to do that is with surprise and timing. And, and, and uh, I, I, when I'm doing stand-up as myself, it's my real voice. When I'm playing characters, it's not. Um, that was another thing too, I guess, was that playing characters, I was out off stage, but no one, like every comedian knew I was gay, but none of the audiences did. And I was like, and this is, you know, this is, this is Bush's, this is the Bush administration when I started doing standup. And I was like, I had been doing characters for a long time and performing as other personas. And I was like, uh, I should, uh, I should let this be known. 
And um, so I did. And um, I don't overtly tell people, you know, you got to change your mind, pal. But uh, that's the notes that aren't played. (laughs) And uh, I prefer to, you know, I prefer to be an idiot. I prefer to make fun of myself. I make fun of how I'm, you know, I'm not a very good gay. I, I don't, I don't, uh, I'll explain it later. Uh, <laughs> I'm not a role model. Um, but, you know, sometimes it goes badly. Sometimes, sometimes, my God, it's like after a show in Chicago. I, this is a guy that you would call, you know, neither homophobic nor like an ally. Drunk. It was like the Saturday night before Easter Sunday. Irish Chicago family came to a show. They were with their dad, red-nosed, big Irish dad. Uh, it's at Zany's in Chicago. He sees me, and he has like a huge, all adult children were with him there, and his wife. And he, I see him after the show, and he's like, I tell you, if I hadn't spent so long being straight, I'd fuck the shit out of you after that show. (laughs) That was so fucking funny. And they were like, Dad. (laughs) So sometimes you give people a late-in-life revelation. Thank you for that wonderful answer. Thank you for that excellent question. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. We have got... I've got one final question. I think we've probably got we've probably got time for one more from the audience. Gentleman down there in the green. It's going to be hard to answer. The, uh, uh, that's, it's a good question, but it's a large question. Um, uh, Six words. <laughs> in the voice of George Bush. In the voice of George Bush. Different stuff. Different voice. I think that's six. <laughs> you can download this episode and 400 plus like it from comedianscomedian.com. I have one final question. James Adomian, will you marry me? Why, it would unite two houses. <laughs> Two traditions and orientations that have had such boundaries between them, both sexual and social, it would shock the world to say nothing of our prior commitments. And I'm talking about Britain and the United States. (laughs) Then let the music play. So that was James Adomian. I cannot recommend him enough. Not only is that long form character improv stuff completely captivating, but also his um, his stand up is so like he's one of those guys where you sort of go. I mean, as, as we covered in this episode, I suppose, you know, why aren't you famous? It's such a kiss of death, isn't it? But um, or it could be perceived as such. But his stand up, he's one of those people where you go, oh, this is the sort of intelligent heartfelt, very funny stand-up to which I aspire, and I know to which a lot of you aspire. 
if in fact you are comedians and maybe you aspire to watch it if you're not. But um, I really, I really cannot recommend his stand up enough. So try and find his album Low Hanging Fruit by following the link in the show notes or looking on the 800 pound gorilla website. Um, and uh, and just, I mean, you know, put his name into YouTube and watch loads of the clips. Oh, and I tell you what, here's a recommendation right off. The, we'll we'll wrap up this James thing and then I'll give you a, a recommendation. So if that was James. Thank you to James for coming on the show. Charlie and everybody at South by all the tech people who helped me. This is the last one now from uh, from the 2023 run of South by Southwest Comedy Strand. And thank you once again for having me. It was a delight. Thank you to Eddie Pepitone, of course, for the uh, unsolicited interactive elements of that show. You can listen to both of my previous episodes with Eddie, one from like eight years ago and one from last year. Um, you can find all of them wherever you get this, wherever you found this. It's got to be easy to do that. Comedianscomedian.com or indeed via stuartgoldsmith.com. Loads to talk about. We'll do quick thanks and then a little postamble for you. So thanks to James and Charlie and indeed Eddie. Thank you to Nathan for producing the show. Thank you to Charlotte Wakeley for various assistant capabilities, um, including logging and uh, show notes and things like that. So thank you, Charlotte. Great to have you on board. And that'll do us for now. I'll postamble at you if you'd care to hang around. But do check out stuartgoldsmith.com for uh, news of previews forthcoming. I've just put in some things in Falmouth and possibly Plymouth and another one at the Comedy Box in Bristol. And uh, I'm really kicking into full hard work preview mode in order to do what Dr. Brown, Phil Berger's mentioned on this podcast years ago. And I always thought... I should do that one year. Well, this year I am. I'm having the post-Edinburgh holiday before Edinburgh. So I'm getting the show knocked into shape in June and July. And um, and then I'm having a week off and going on holiday with my family, during which I intend to relax and not be a ball of nerves and not be answering multiple tiny Q&A, what's your favourite place for a secret getaway in Edinburgh, kind of PR things. But instead, relaxing in advance of doing the work. Is that going to work? Does that tally with what you think of me? No, but I'm but I'm committed to it now, so I I will make it work. But yes, yeah, so what that means is June and July are going to be very uh, preview and gig heavy. So StuartGoldsmith.com for all that stuff, and I'll post amble at you shortly. But goodbye for now. Oh, I feel like I haven't done one of these properly for ages. You don't need to know this, but my mouth is overproducing saliva, which I uh, connect to. I think it's asthma. I think it's asthma or allergy related. So I keep having to stop. And I hope I spared Nathan editing this from from the worst of this. But I kept having to stop and actually physically go back and delete mouth noises. I can't think of anything worse except to listen to mouth noises if you have misophonia, as my poor, dear, long suffering wife, in fact, has, which is the the technical term for when... um, the noise of you know someone eating or what have you makes you wish you were dead so with that in mind i shall attempt to speak clearly and without salivating all over you so where to start i've got some corkers in the can coming up oh my god I had a great great conversation earlier today with lee kyle we've got a brilliant one with Gianmarco marco coming your way a fascinating conversation with jeff shaw lucy beaumont that's an absolute corker that might be i think we'll do that next week neil delamere will probably be the week after that um it's all systems go, and I'm trying to edge ever closer to the the Concom machine, but I wonder if in order to try and sort of speed everything up with how Concom works, thus leaving me free to um, get all the other shit done that I've got to do. <laughs> Just so you know, if you're involved in my life in any capacity that isn't the creation of this podcast, that comes under the title apparently of all the other shit. Any apologies? Um, 
But the problem is to speed up and refine a process. First, you've got to sort of you've got to do an exploded diagram of it. And then you do that bit and then you lose hope and then you give up and you just leave it there. Similarly, I'm um, with with regard to this to the show, with regard to spoilers, the poster and and uh, some social media assets and flies and what have you for which are looking indescribably wonderful. And I'm so excited about those. Thank you to Andre at AndrePattenden.com, phenomenal uh, photographer and designer. Um, and also thank you to Matt Crockett, who is a, a brilliant photographer I've worked with for many years as well. This is not my point. My point is, um, yes, as I as I alluded to earlier on, I have been the the show is infinite. I'm doing a show about climate anxiety, which I already know is not the right thing to call it. Because it pathologizes it and it's, it sort of suggests, hey, it's unreasonable to feel it. It's an anxiety. It's perfectly reasonable to feel climate anxiety or climate grief or eco dread or whatever you want to call it. I have been doing I've been getting really deeply involved in looking into this and doing research. Me, a Stuart Goldsmith doing research. I'm sure one of the rules used to be one of the rules used to be no props ever. And one of the rules used to be do no research. Look where all that got me. Um, but I have been kind of reading books and blogs and uh, watching lectures on YouTube and what have you in order. Like I've, I've written enough stuff that, it, that there's a functional show in there. I thank Christ it won the, the Leicester thing, because without that, I'd have given up hope long ago. But that was just encouragement enough to go. No, no, no. Look, this can work. This has worked. A version of this has worked at least once. What I'm realizing, the more I find out about it is. The, the complexity, the intersectionality, climate justice, but for who and where? God, it's absolutely enormous. And one of the things I suppose that I'm clinging to is, oh, this isn't a problem I can solve. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think I'm refining the, the thrust of the show now is to say I'm experiencing a huge amount of eco dread. Maybe you are as well. If you are, Let's hold hands and find out more about it because I found out more about it and I'm not less scared, but I am more hopeful. I'm more scared and more hopeful. So if that sounds like the sort of thing you'd like to encounter for an hour with a shitload of jokes. I mean, some of which are real belters. But, you know, come along and see it at Edinburgh or in, or in one of these um, much vaunted previews. I'm so excited about it, but it's such a huge thing. And, and I keep... Like, you know, if you're working on a bit where you're like, oh, I'm doing a show about anxiety or no, let's that's too close as a metaphor, isn't it? I'm doing a show about Christmas tree decorations and you go, right, where do we get them? Christmas. And what happened? What else happens at Christmas? Fine. And you sort of do a, a spider diagram. That's all I'm saying is, you know, when you do a spider diagram on a theme, Jesus Christ, the climate, it's just an infinite spider diagram. It's infinitely long and vast and deep and complex. And just to zero in on the bits of it that I think I can be useful, that I think I it's like I'm doing a show about my quest to find something genuinely useful I can do with stand up. But at the same time, I don't want it to be a show. It isn't and it won't be a show about doing a show. So a lot of the kind of the lowest hanging fruit, if you like. Thank you, James. A lot of the lowest hanging fruit is um, a lot of the easiest laughs. Not that any laugh is that easy. But they're about the problems of talking to audiences about the climate. And those problems are numerous. But to actually write jokes about the climate crisis and about hope in the face of it and different types of hope and who gets to feel hope and why they should, why we should. And and like, you know, a show that isn't just funny, but that is also kind of a really fucking useful, good thing. 
the it, it's so far it's so far at the outside of my comfort zone of my capability as a comic that it's almost that that is a thing of hopeful in itself it's like this is such a phenomenal challenge of course it's going to be incredibly hard painful work so there's that i suppose um i keep i i mean adhd is coming up on almost every interview now and that i'm fine with that i often try and reserve it for the uh, for the extras no extras on this one should have mentioned that earlier out of practice uh, no extras on this one but of course comedianscomedian.com slash insiders for all the extras um and, and to generally support the podcast plenty of people support it and don't listen to the ex- the extras and i know that because i've got the data i'm in the back end mate um, and if you are speaking of the back end, if you want to see Kiefer Sutherland running around the place being like a slightly older, more paranoid uh, Jack Bauer, I highly recommend getting your hands somehow on a new show called Rabbit Hole. It's very fun. Absolutely preposterous. Um, so one of the things I've learned and I've pinched this from a, a psychologist is that I need to say at the beginning of the climate show words to the effect of I'm going to take you to some very difficult places, but I promise not to leave you there. And I. I've just got this feeling that that sentence is going to make the show fly because the show is the show goes to some uncomfortable places. And it's really funny. But sometimes I'm looking at them. I This is a thing. The dynamic between whether or not they are enjoying it, but simply in a different way. You can tell if they're enjoying it when they laugh. But if they don't laugh, but they think that can be good if you're trying to get them to think or feel. I'm calibrated for a laugh every 20 seconds or, oh, God, this isn't working. And that's sometimes to my detriment. And they're calibrated for a stand up show. And sometimes I'm like, is this working great? I, I mean, thanks if you came to the one at Mac. And thank you. So two or three people got in touch after it. And one of you, it was a really fascinating email. I've yet to get back to it. But um, I felt like they, you know, it didn't feel as light and frothy. Trying to find the lightness in the climate crisis. Jesus. Cripes on a bike, as the Boutros says. Um Trying to keep it light and frothy is one thing, but sometimes you kind of go, here's the stuff, chunk, 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 laugh, 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 but maybe not as light and frothy laughs as I'm used to or would like. But then at the end, they clap loads and you go, oh, well, maybe that's success. Who knows what success is? Is it? Can you tell I'm spinning? (laughs) It's just revolving. I tell you what, though, I'm really enjoying it. I'm really enjoying the process and I'm really enjoying engaging with something real and fucking horrible and difficult that I'm suffering from and struggling with, you know, the, the topic and and really trying to get your teeth into it and uh, and make something out of it. So that's your postamble. Make of that what you will. I hope you come and see the show. I hope this hasn't put anyone off. I'm, there's some banger jokes and I think you'll come out of it feeling good. I hope you do. I promise you do. <laughs> I promise you do. But I, I mean, I can't. I promise, but don't guarantee you'll feel more hopeful, I think. It's just that in order to make you to feel more hopeful, if you don't really know how bad things are, first I will tell you how bad things are. God. And and what's worse is the worst part of this whole process is I now have notes on, I would say, something like 15 or 16 different, you know, sheets, folders, nested documents and what have you that I simply don't, you know, I can't draw them all together. Do you know I'm at the stage where I just want to just collect all my working out? And just throw it at the audience and go, that's all the notes. Just read that. It's in there. It's in there. Bye. I'll be in the pub. Which I was going to leave on as the ending. And then I suddenly thought it's not really a call to action, isn't it? <laughs> so um, find out more about the show. It's stuartgoldsmith.com. Search for it at the end of the fridge. It's called Spoilers. Uh, and um, I, I cannot wait for you to see it. Okay. Okay. <laughs>
I will be in the pub. <laughs>